0: Eagle, Eagle, it's It's time to surface from the lab and apply my intelligence, my very artificial intelligence, to the issue of banking and technology. (laughs) That's right. It's time, kiddies. Pull out the bags. Knock on the door, show us your best costume because it's trick-or-tech and we have gathered together a veritable witch's cauldron of guests to talk about technology so far in 2021, whether that's fintech, prop tech, insure tech, tech-tech-tech, and to also honestly discuss what maybe the disappointments were, where the hype was, where the real hope is going to be. So sit back, chew on that tiffy taffy toffee until your teeth rot out of your mouth. It's Trick or Tech, here
1: on Bill. I was
2: in the Bill.
0: And so here we are. Very safely ensconced by the campfire, toasting marshmallows, not trying to think too much about what's scary. But you know, it's Halloween, you can never quite tell. I am going to very briefly introduce our guest. We have Danny Piangirelli, the CTO of Sensible, Paul Davis, the Director of Marketing Intelligence at Strategic Resource Management, SRM, Steve Ward. Manager of the VCIO and VCISO consulting groups at CSI. Martina Schubert, the CTO of Lender Close. Cyrus Tahari, head of partnerships North America at Mambu. So, with that, I'm going to ask you all to give a little bit more background on yourselves and answer the question what has been your favorite Halloween costume that you've ever worn and why?
3: Danny, why don't we start with you? Great, Lou. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is Danny. I'm the, as you mentioned, the CTO of Sensible, which is a Toronto-based company. I was almost going to say startup, but we've been at it for a few years now. Let's see, what is my favorite Halloween outfit? So actually, a year or two ago, pre-COVID, My wife and I showed up at a costume party dressed as Lucy and Ricky. And I have to say my favorite part was my wife's Lucy, which was phenomenal. And I was a mediocre Ricky at best, but she was great. She did the whole Lucy voice like. (laughs) Yeah, she was awesome. Red hair and all. Fabulous. Okay,
1: Paul. Paul Davis with Strategic Resource Management. We're a consulting and advisory firm based out of Memphis, Tennessee, that helps banks and credit unions with everything from negotiating third-party vendor contracts, pricing. We work in some AI automation and looking at also at crypto and things like that. My favorite Halloween costume, one year in college, I had three guys, the four of us lived together, and we went to a Halloween party dressed as Kiss. And the best part about that was doing the makeup, doing the face paint for all those guys, and still having photos to basically blackmail them 25 years later. So I
0: got to ask you, Paul, which one were you?
1: Well, since it was my idea, I got to be Paul Stanley. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Steve, take it away. Hi, this is Steve Ward. I'm the manager
2: of the VCIOs and VCISO consulting groups with CSI. And as far as my favorite costume goes from Halloween, my dad was a physician and around third grade, you know, I was looking for for the costume and what to do. And he said, don't worry, I got it all figured out. And he came home that afternoon with this huge bag full of all kinds of bandages. And he wrapped me from head to ankle in gauze and cut out where I could see, cut out where I could breathe around my mouth. And I was supposed to be a mummy. I left my feet open so I could wear shoes. Now, unfortunately, the gauze was bright white. It was brand new. So I really looked more like a child that had been in a horrible accident And a month. It wasn't too long we realized another design issue with the costume was there was no way out of the costume. You had to be cut out of the costume. But we had lots of fun that night, and I got home and cut me out of it so I could be to the bathroom. And
0: my favorite thing about it was that, you know, he went through all the effort
4: to do it. Martina, you're up. Hi, Lou. Thanks for having me. I am the CTO at LenderClose here in the middle of beautiful state of Iowa. And I also manage the product team here. So it's really exciting. We are kind of not a startup anymore, but we are a fintech, which is really fun. And it's one of the reasons I came here. I've been in the tech world my entire career. So I'm loving life at this point. My favorite Halloween costumes, I got to thinking about this. And as a kid, my family, we did not have a lot of money, and my parents did not buy us Halloween costumes. So every year I would be a hobo because it's the only thing that I could figure out with things around the house to make and paint my face dirty or whatever to look like a hobo coming off a train. And that is pretty much what I did almost every year. So that would probably have to be my favorite.
0: Wow. And I'm going to say this, Martina, it's a reliable standby. Cyrus,
5: your turn. Thank you, Lou, and thank you for having me. So, well, I'm Cyrus Tahiri. I, like you said, I look after partnerships for Mambo, which is a very special part of the Mambu, you know, business. We look at basically tapping into the ecosystem to help bring the different experience to customers or to businesses. And Halloween is one of my favorite holidays. And my favorite costume, or one of the things that I remember as a child, is when I dress up as Spider Man. Spider
2: Man, Spider Man, does whatever a spider can, spins a web any size, catches
0: feet
3: just like guys. Look out, here comes a Spider Man.
5: And as Spider-Man, I I loved it. I didn't have a custom then, and it was my mom who cut a bunch of different parts and pieces, paint my face, and I thought it was the coolest custom I ever had. it must have been really great when you were shooting those webs and
0: swinging off of 40-story buildings, too. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Now, on with the show. One of the things that inspired this episode was the idea that While we often do podcasts that have a positive thrust right from the get-go, I think a lot of us have to put up with catchphrases and concepts that we hear all year long and just really don't bear out. The hype is big and the actual delivery, not so much. I would be interested in hearing from you what you think some of those things were that were just overblown or their promise really wasn't realized.
4: I could start, Lou. The thing that came to my mind when thinking about catchphrases, the word hot wind, that's like, it's not working right. And the thing that really hit home for me is the word agile. (laughs) I'm a tech person and I've managed a lot of tech teams. And we use the word agile in so many ways and shapes and forms that nobody really knows what they mean anymore. And in some cases, it's just doing the same thing in a shorter amount of time, which is really not what being really agile means. So, that would probably be my number one, maybe not just for 2021, but maybe for a few years.
0: I have to say, I totally agree with you. I just had recent experience where I was put on a project with a company that was redoing the websites for the Veterans Administration, and we would talk about Agile, and we would talk about Scrum, and we would talk about project management, we would talk about human-centered design. And I started to feel like I was really lost within this sea of jargon. And after a while I just realized, oh, this is about doing the work. Let's just figure out how to do the work best. So agile, maybe not so
3: agile, right? Right. (laughs) You know, Lou, one I'd throw out there is personalization, especially in the digital version of the world that we are living in in the financial institution space these days. Personalization is kind of like going to the gym for me. It's something that everybody agrees is great and is a good idea and is good for everyone, but most people don't actually do it or know how to do it. So personalization is a great one for me, especially given the fact that Sensibil, it's in our tagline, we focus in on this, but how do you do it? That's really the key.
0: Absolutely. Paul, any thoughts on this, the
1: catchphrase conundrum I hope this doesn't come across as too controversial. But for me, it's the whole idea about buy now, pay later in that while I think it's certainly worthwhile and there's certainly you know, demand for it, it just seems to me like there's just so much press and so much hype relative to a concept that really has been in the works for decades. I mean, it's interesting, too, to see that just about every bank and non-bank lender is just diving headfirst into this. And uh, I think it's just going to be a matter of time to see how successful the overall industry and individual players are going to be in it. Obviously there's concern that it could encourage overspend. There's always going to be questions about credit quality, although I think, you know, obviously underwriting and data is going to help with that. But for me, it's just amazing to see the flood of buy now, pay later and point of sale headlines that we've been seeing the last couple of months.
0: Oh, no doubt. In fact. I'm 100% sure of this because a band that I shared the stage with in the 1980s, the 1980s, right? When I had a mullet, there's a costume. uh, They had a song called Buy Now, Pay Later. So I'm seeing like all these headlines and I'm like, this isn't anything new. Maybe the way it's being done is new or the execution is new. This concept is as old as the hills i mean it probably needs a better name to begin with i would argue but the other thing is we're just talking about a
5: new wrinkle on an old thing i don't get it either this is cyrus from mambo and i kind of agree with the concept my now leader i think is pretty much repurposed financing in any way shape or form i think it's all about how they construct the experience to you know about personalization for example and how easy or how simple it becomes for you to transact compared to previous years, right? Uh, the store is in your hands, in your phone. You know, it's no longer you got to walk into a place and finance it. And now they're getting creative into even post-transaction, right? If I get a credit card bill, I can still select a few and finance those. So it's more a creative spin off of our financing transaction at the end of the day.
2: This is Steve, and I think I have something to kind of play off of what everybody else was talking about. The thing that I'm really tired of hearing about is digital transformation. I don't think anyone actually knows exactly what that means, if it does really have a meaning. Now, people could argue that fact, but you know, as a former bank executive, bankers, I don't think think this way, and I definitely don't believe customers think that way. Customers don't think about products. They think about what they want to get done, There's some type of job, something that they want to accomplish, and that's really what we're looking at. We all have this bias built in and we think the whole world thinks the way a banker thinks. I don't think it's as much about the digital as it is about figuring out what the customer really needs and making that easier for them, something that's smooth. You know, if no one thinks about this technology, they just don't think that way. I mean, you don't think about your cell phone, you just think about what you want to do with your cell phone. You don't think about the cell phone until it doesn't work and you can't find it. You simply use it. In most banking products, ought to work that way. It ought to be something that fits in your life and works for you, not something I have to manipulate.
0: Wow, that's an outstanding answer. It makes me think of something that I have written in numerous commentaries is that at the end of the day, we're all customers we're not just in banking or financial services so if we think about the pain points we experience and what we wish institutions were doing to try to help us that's a natural entree into what the problems may be and how we're going to meet them
5: head on so love it this is starts from Mambu, from a fintech right i think that's spot on usually what i see and is exactly and maybe resonates is when we talk to banks or financial institutions, we are actually gauging the culture. Usually innovation and data transfer starts with both the culture and the DNA being infused in there. So I see a lot of institutions are trying to challenge what they do, particularly the progressive ones, or they're trying to infuse with non-bank type employees that come from other industries. Just because they bring that different, you know, mentality into it. And then the third layer becomes the technology, but it comes after you already have the culture and the idea, right?
1: This is Paul Davis. I'll insert one other thought, you know, talking to bankers about fintech and innovation, it's not just the management teams that are affected. There's so many other groups. CEOs tell me that they have to have discourse with, I mean, obviously employees, many of whom are nervous about bringing in new technology. The board of directors and also for some of these guys, especially some of them of size is their investor base. I've had a banker recently say, we want to be involved in banking as a service but we're kind of worried that those kind of partnerships and the risks involved might spook our investor base as well. So when you talk about culture, it's not just the C-suite, it's a lot of varying, almost like a Venn diagram of cultural acceptance. This is Steve. Absolutely
2: spot on. And I think a lot of businesses like this, but especially in banking, the timeline everybody keeps looking at is really short, right? And so we're concerned about next quarter's profitability. And this year's profitability because it ties maybe to my bonus, right? Or it gets tied to my investment I'm going to make this year. I think to evolve, people are going to have to start thinking about, well, how do we remain viable? How do we remain relevant long-term? And that probably means you're going to have to make some investments that maybe aren't going to pay off this year or maybe even next year. You're going to have to position yourself for a long-term. But I kind of get the feeling that in a lot of cases, it's supposed to be a kind of looking at this more short-term because they have a different horizon that they're working on. Everybody's got to start looking more long-term from a strategic standpoint. And they got to carry that all the way through to a actionable plan.
0: Well, tremendous conversation so far. And Martina, if you don't mind, I'm going to call on you because I really loved your answer about catch raises, concepts, hot wind. If we are to truly distinguish between hype and hope, in the months to come, what do we need to be looking for? Where is the real substance, the rubber hits the road going to be?
4: I think (laughs) I'm a big hope person. So I don't consider everything to be hype. There's a reason why they're happening. But the hope that I'm really excited about in 2022 in particular is the home ownership in general is an American dream, right? And so generating wealth and eliminating barriers that really are enabling people to Access credit is really exciting to me. We do a lot of servicing for local community banks and credit unions, and they're all about their members. And that's one of the reasons I love being connected to them is that that is what it's all about is the hope. And really, my biggest thing that we talk about here is that American dream of owning your own home.
5: This is Cyrus again. Might be a little controversial, so maybe good, you know. From the hype perspective, I think we hear a lot of crypto discussions, right? A lot of that happening whether for good, for bad, it's just happening. But then my hope or the hope I see is that it's becoming quite institutional. There is a lot of very serious discussion, you know, with the CBDC more, you know, definitely backed by governments like China or, you know, Bahamas, even the United States is starting to think quite seriously about it. I think that's my hope side, but it's highly disruptive. It comes from a hype, right? For I think short term today, we see a lot of crypto, a lot of Dogecoin and things of that nature hitting the charts. But I think the big hope is we can institutionalize that.
1: This is Paul. I'd love to dovetail on that too. I mean, I do see the point about say crypto decentralized finance blockchain, but I do think there is some hope that lenders in the banking industry will find ways to effectively use those technologies over time to speed delivery, remove friction points, perhaps even lower the cost of services. I think it's just going to take a while. A for smart people to figure out how to best leverage that technology, but also to get a sense of how Washington wants to try to harness it and have their say in how that technology is leveraged over time. This is Steve. I think the big hope for me is in banking as a
2: service. And the reason I say that is when you look at community banks and even the national scale is everything, but that scale, you won't succeed. Even if you're doing a niche, you still have to have enough scale to it to make it profitable, make it worth doing. And that's always a challenge for community banks. There's a lot of tremendous, fantastic things that fintechs are doing. But if you look at it from a community bank's perspective, I think a lot of times you end up with, well, that's really cool. And yeah, I know some people that will like that and I have some customers that like that, but for me to get involved in that and for me to invest in that as a banker. I'll never reach enough scale to make this worth doing really profitable, even though it would benefit a portion or a segment of my client base tremendously. And I think through banking as a service, we have the opportunity to allow banks to plug into different systems, different platforms, and we can even, you know, aggregate that information in the background and feed all of them and provide those services to the niche that we have in a way that still makes money for the bank.
4: I would kind of, challenge that a bit that I think that's exactly what FinTech can bring to the table is helping those small community banks and especially credit unions because that's kind of what our service area is to be able to do some of those things easily and really what we go into those places talking about is what kind of problems are you having and how can we help you meet your goals that means that we're partnering with them so I think fintech can be part of that equation I guess is what I'm saying
1: it totally redefines what your community is, right? I tell people, you know, back in the day, community banks were based on a zip code or a town. And with the ability of banking as a service and working with neobanks and challenger banks, you were really getting into segmentation to the point where you're looking at healthcare professionals, you're looking at the LGBTQ plus community, and you're basically removing geography as the definition of your community bank.
2: Great conversation.
1: I wasn't meaning to imply that FinTech can have a role I think
2: Syntex has a tremendous role in that.
4: That's cool. I love hearing your comments. That's interesting.
2: As far as locale goes, I couldn't agree more. We have conversations with CEOs all the time and with their teams. And one of the things we say to them repeatedly is local is the link that you're on. Local's at your fingertips. And especially the next generation. If I can't do it on a mobile device on my phone, then it's not local to me. Now. Am I saying the branch is dead? I don't think the branch is dead yet. But still, people will reach out to whatever is at their fingertips.
0: That is so true. Danny, interested in hearing your thoughts here. Hype, hope, what do you see?
3: Yeah, this is a great conversation, Lou. You know, the thing that I think about when I think about hope, especially in the financial institution space, is if we think about the challengers, that are out there to traditional financial institutions, the challengers, they're doing some of the same, if not the exact same things, but they're making those things about people. And so people actually have a relationship or they perceive to have a relationship with Google and Amazon because Google and Amazon understand them. And the financial institution, if you were to ask these people, does my financial institution actually understand me or are they just a utility that i'm interacting with it's just where my paycheck goes and then the first thing i do is take my money out and put it elsewhere i wonder what the answer to that question would be for most so on that topic i loved what martina shared you know end of the day her fintech is about making home purchases more affordable that's an actual experience that they are understanding people and what their actual pain points are for us at sensibil it's a very similar focus whether it's helping financial institutions you know understand their customers spend being able to establish look if this person is an expectant mother based on what the spend might be over the past few months what can we as a financial institution offer that can actually come alongside and help that person with planning? So to me, that's where the hope is. I think Steve might've mentioned it as well. It's really a people game end of the day. So our job is to personalize finance as I see it. That's where the hope is. How do we make it more about the people?
4: I love those comments. It's all about the people. That's for sure. Thanks.
0: It definitely is. This has been so far a really fascinating Discussion, very enlightening for me. Now, as we wrap things up, you can address this either in terms of technology, your own businesses where you're doing this great work, or personally. We all know the Great Pumpkin is coming, right? Linus from the Peanuts cartoon has told us so. So, if there was one present the Great Pumpkin could deliver for 2022, What would you hope it would be?
4: Hey, Lou, it's Martina. If I could get a present from the Great Pumpkin, it would be that banks and credit unions become even more nimble. A lot of these things we learned over the pandemic and how our environments have just changed. And they've learned how to adjust. And I hope they keep that momentum going. And that feeds into what I spoke to earlier, that my end game is really to get more people access to money to buy a home.
5: Hey, this is Cyrus. I hope that we really are learning from everything that we lived through the past year. You know, it challenged people, it challenged businesses, it challenged everyone, right? From models, schools, everything, everything changed. And I think one of the things that was very noticeable to me as a person was, you know, things are not going to be exactly the same, we're going to be a hybrid. Hopefully people learn to basically challenge or redesign their businesses and their lives. We hope that technology is part of it. You know, we want to help, but it goes way beyond that, right? So I hope that 22 is a bit different and hopefully we learn from what, you know, the disruptions that took place and hopefully we evolve into 2022.
1: This is Paul. I'll weigh in as well. So I would love to see in 2022, just to see how banks and credit unions, the ones that have been kind of ahead of the game with fintech partnerships, whether it's the folks that were working to create better interfaces for PPP and SBA lending, or if it's the folks that were looking to use blockchain to improve the mortgage origination process, I'd love to just see those guys actually have some tangible benefits that hopefully the rest of us can look at and hopefully encourage other folks in the industry to take a closer look and be a little bit more receptive to what FinTech has to offer. This is Steve. What I really wish for banks, right? What I hope for and credit unions as
2: well. Well, I agree that we do need regulation, the smaller banks, community banks, and the local credit unions need some regulatory relief. Some of the things that are proposed right now that are out for review are going to put a tremendous burden on these smaller institutions and make it incredibly hard for them to comply with and to make money. You don't make money from from compliance, it's a cost center, it's a burden. And while I think we need regulation. There needs to be a serious discussion about the inherent risk that's there. How much does it apply to some of these smaller institutions,
3: Lou? This is Danny. Thanks for the great pumpkin reference, by the way. My goodness, it wouldn't be Halloween without the Charlie Brown episode. You know, for me and for Sensible, really, you know, we're a customer data platform, and we're really the only one that's focused on specifically financial institutions and adjacent institutions like fintechs, etc. So. The key word in the customer data platform is really the customer, right? So it kind of doesn't matter if we have a bunch of data that no one can actually use for anything. So we're spending a lot of time on things like understanding for the financial institution, things like, you know, price drops or credit card discrepancies, automatically ordering needed products expense analytics, you know, subscriptions, everyday spend, things like that. If we can get to the point where we help the partner institutions that we work with to really be seen by their customers as understanding them and being really partners to Cyrus's point, you know, people are changing their habits, people are changing the way that they interact with a lot of these institutions. So can we help these institutions understand their customers better, not so that they can make more money, but so that they can actually affect people's lives, actual people in a real way, whether it's financial wellness or these other things. If we can have an impact like that, then it makes it worth it to wake up in the morning and come to work and start banging on a keyboard, right?
0: Absolutely. And Danny, I'm going to dovetail off of you because you actually touched on, of the wish that I have. It is for financial wellness and financial inclusion because I think the negative stereotype, and it really is a stereotype at this point, is that the financial services industry is just about making money and nothing else. Now, no one should be ashamed of making money and driving profits and building business there's also a way to do that while making sure more people get involved in the financial services circle as consumers that's good for them it's good for us and that we do that hand in hand with encouraging financial wellness because people may want to participate but they can't even figure out how to pay off their credit card debt or get the money together for a mortgage, or do any number of things that concentrate on to borrow from you, Martina, American dreams, right? We can make those things happen. We can improve people's lives and we can also improve bottom lines. So that's my Great Pumpkin gift request. Are you listening, Great Pumpkin, for 2022? And I just wanna thank all of you for a fabulous discussion. I wanna thank you for your leadership in this industry and for taking time from your busy schedules to come here and haunt the listeners on Bankadelic today. Thank
3: you, Lou, it's been great. Thanks, Lou, thanks for having
4: us. Thanks for having us, Lou, it was fun.
0: Danny Piangerelli of Sensible, Paul Davis of Strategic Resource Management, SRM, Steve Ward of CSI, Martina Schubert, Of lender clothes and Cyrus to Harry of Mambo, you can look for them all on LinkedIn. Oh, wherever (laughs) it is that the ghouls go.
3: Bankadelic is a production of NMD+, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas.
0: Boo.